Good morning and welcome. We are extremely grateful that you're with us today. If you're visiting, we want you to know that we appreciate so much your presence. We're thankful that you accepted the invitation to come and be a part of our friends and family day. If you are here by chance, we appreciate that as well. It may be the case that you're looking for a church home. And as always, we encourage you to consider the work here. We would love to have you come and join hands with us as we do our best to make known Christ in this community. I do want to make mention of the fact, Jared asked me to remind you, if you are visiting with us, if you would fill out one of the, one of the cards that is in the pew in front of you, we would love to, love to have a record of, of your attendance and it uh, won't take but a minute, but we would love to have that. And so appreciate so much you doing that for us. We are very thankful for this day and for every Sunday we appreciate so much the opportunity to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. I want to encourage all of you to stay. We have a meal prepared. A lot of good food is in the fellowship hall, and I know that there'll be plenty for everyone. And if you have not planned to stay, I want to encourage you to consider staying. We would love to have you join with us, and I know that you would enjoy the food and the fellowship. I want us to look today at Mark chapter 10. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the verses that Danton read a moment ago, verses 28 through 30, as we think about the theme, nothing beats Christianity. If someone were to ask you, why are you a Christian? Or what are the benefits of being a child of God? What would you say? There are probably any number of great reasons why being a Christian is the greatest way to live here upon this earth. There are a lot of reasons that I could give you, and I want to just maybe isolate some of the blessings that we enjoy as God's people. In my mind, nothing, and when I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing, beats living the Christian life. And there are some reasons for that. As we look at our text today, I want to begin by reading again what Mark has recorded. In verse 28, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So what about Christianity? Why is Christianity so great. Why is it hard to beat? I want to begin by first of all calling attention to the resolve to follow Jesus. I want us to look first of all at verses 28 and 29 as we think about the resolve to follow Jesus and then more specifically we're going to be talking about the reward for following Jesus. As we think about the resolve, of course, 
that would indicate that a decision has been made to follow Jesus. And what you need to understand is that Peter and the other apostles or other disciples, they made the decision to follow Jesus. And really, that's what they're saying, and that's what Peter is saying in verse 28. When he said to the Lord, we have left all and followed you. First, there's the idea of forsaking all for Jesus. When you think about living for the Lord, you have to understand that what Jesus really wants is your love and your life. He wants everything. Everything outside of that is a distant second, so to speak. There are a lot of folks that have made some great sacrifices to follow the Savior. And yet Jesus is saying that if you choose to follow me, there are some tremendous benefits. Now we talk about forsaking all to follow Jesus. If you go back and you read Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 4 when the Lord called Peter and Andrew and James and John, the Bible says that immediately they left their nets and followed him. By way of occupation, they were fishermen. And yet they chose to become his disciples and later would become tremendous evangelists for the cause of Christ. Jesus would tell them on one occasion, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke said in talking about that decision to follow Jesus, that it demands supreme love and affection. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not or love less, father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so the willingness to forsake any and everything to follow the Son of God. Now, by way of context, Jesus had been involved in a conversation with a rich young man. This man wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus, in his conversation with this man, told him to go and sell everything that he had and then follow him. But the Bible says that he couldn't do that. He went away sorrowful. He was grieved because he had great possessions. So in the life of this man, it would have necessitated cutting ties with his material possessions in this life. And there are a lot of things that sometimes come between us and the Lord. We have to be willing to sever those things if they would hinder us in following Jesus. But note if you would, not only does Peter talk about forsaking all for Jesus, but he talks about following Jesus. Now Peter had said, Lord, we have left all for you. But then he said, we have followed you. What does that mean to follow Jesus? I think about those of us that desire to follow Jesus first and foremost, what we're saying is we're going to build our lives on the Lord. 
Everything's going to be built on him. He's going to be the foundation of my life. The cornerstone, if you please. The psalmist in the long ago said, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And so this willingness to build our lives on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is this willingness to build our lives around the Lord Jesus Christ. We make him not only the cornerstone of life, but he is the absolute core, the hub, the focal point of life. And so all of my attention is directed toward him. I'm willing to follow him at all cost. I think about the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 4 when he said, And when Christ who is our life, when you become a child of God, when you decide to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, Jesus is going to be my all. He's going to be the hub of my life. He is, he is the one that I'm going to build my life on. He's the one that I'm going to build my life around. Everything's going to revolve around him. Now, sometimes we ask the question, well, why would we want to do that? And really, that's what Peter asked. If you go back and you look at Matthew's account, Matthew tells us that when Peter said, Lord, we've left all and followed you, he wanted to know, what shall we have? And the idea is, Lord, if we forsake all and follow you, what's in it for us? What tangible blessings can we expect if we choose to live in your service for the duration of our lives? That's a great question. I think it's a fair question. If somebody were to ask me, okay, I want to become a Christian, but I need to know what I can expect. I need to understand that the question posed is sincere and genuine and ought to be answered. That's exactly what Jesus did. He answered what, what Peter said, or what Peter, what Peter asked or said. Listen again to what Jesus said. Verse 29, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So what about the reward for following Jesus? What's in it for us? I mean, that's what Peter wanted to know. What will we have, Lord? We have forsaken all. We're following you. So what can we expect? I want to begin by saying that living the Christian life is an abundant life. In some ways it would be difficult for me to put into modern vernacular all of the blessings and the byproducts that we enjoy in Christ. But I want to try to share with you some of those blessings and benefits that I think we can enjoy in Christ. Now Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, I am come that they might have life, and listen to him, and have it more abundantly. Don't think for a minute that Jesus does not want you to enjoy an abundant life. That abundant life can be had today, tomorrow, 
the next day, and so on. As long as we have life and as long as this earth stands, there's the possibility for an abundant life in Jesus Christ. So, what about some of those blessings? What about, what about the benefits to following Jesus? I want to begin by saying that there are some intrinsic blessings that we enjoy in Christ and there are some things that we have in Christ that in my mind, every single person needs. I don't think there are any exclusions. There are some basic fundamental needs that all of us have. Number one, we all need forgiveness through Jesus. Why do we need forgiveness? Well, because there is this problem called sin. I understand that sin in our day and time has taken a hit. There are a lot of folks that when you begin talking about sin and unrighteousness, in their mind they think, you know what, that's just outdated, old-fashioned, archaic. I mean, that's really not relevant to today. Well, guess what? It is relevant. And the reason it's relevant is because sin is a problem to everyone in the human family. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every person on planet Earth has to grapple with this problem called sin. When we reach an accountable age, there's this problem that we either have to ignore or deal with. That problem is sin. Now the Bible tells us that sin is a transgression of law. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. John would go on to say over in chapter 5 that sin is unrighteousness. What you need to understand, what I need to understand is that sin separates me from God. The very reason Jesus came to earth was to deal with the problem of sin, to reconcile us. And the Bible says that he reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. The cross was the place where Jesus Christ brought man and God back together again. And the means by which we enjoy reconciliation and redemption is his blood. When Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood for every person. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. That means all of us. All of us today are the recipients of what Jesus did on Calvary nearly 2,000 years ago. I want you to think for just a minute. I, I, I talk about why we all need forgiveness. The reason we all need forgiveness is because of sin. Here's what people misunderstand about sin. Sin will wreck your life. There are a lot of people in our world today whose lives have been wasted because of sin. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 23, oftentimes when we look at verse 33, we think about Jesus on that central cross. And yet the Bible tells us that two thieves were also crucified with Jesus, one on the right hand and the other on the left. 
They are identified as thieves, malefactors, criminals. What does that say to us? It says that living a life of sin has terrible consequences. I don't know exactly when these men got involved in a life of crime. But I know one thing. They were suffering the death penalty. They were being put to death for crimes they had committed under the rule of Rome. They had a mom and a daddy. I do not know if their mom and daddy taught them right from wrong. I don't know if they had been taught the law of God. But somewhere along the road of life, they got off track. Their lives were ending in death. Now we can talk about how sin is a wasteful life. That is a classic example. There are a lot of folks in our world today, maybe they have not engaged in crimes worthy of physical death. But they've wasted their lives. Add to that the enormity of the guilt and the shame that they feel on a daily basis. We talk about how sin wrecks the lives of people and how living in sin causes us to waste good years here upon this earth. And there are a lot of people who say, well, you know what? I enjoy living in sin. I understand. I understand that. The Hebrew writer talked about Moses who turned his back on the pleasures of sin. So I understand. You can have a lot of fun in the world. I'm not saying it's right, but you can do that. But when it's all said and done, when you sift through everything, the bottom line is you'll wreck your life and you'll waste your life. Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard. Read Luke 15, the prodigal son. Look at that prodigal son. Left home at an early age, wasted his substance with riotous living. You want to talk about a guy that hit rock bottom? Why was that? Made bad decisions in life. So, we all need forgiveness. How can we enjoy forgiveness? Well, the Bible tells us. Peter who said to Jesus, Lord, we have left all and followed you. Had the opportunity to preach the gospel on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem, <clears throat> following the death and resurrection of Jesus. When he preached that gospel sermon some 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that those people who were assembled to observe Pentecost they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. They had been indicted. They understood. They had been guilty of putting Jesus to death. And so Peter said, here's what you need to do. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now when we do what they did, the benefits are we enjoy the blood of Christ. Why do we need the blood of Christ? Because the blood of Christ washes away our sins. You remember what Paul said in recounting his conversion story in Acts 22? 
He said that Ananias said to him, and now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You mean to tell me that when I'm baptized into Christ, every sin is purged, is washed away. That's exactly right. Let me tell you what, God promises to forgive every sin. And you can take that to the bank. When God makes a promise, he will uphold that promise. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Here's the beauty of becoming a child of God and enjoying forgiveness through Jesus. The beauty is, number one, you're forgiven. You can go home and you can bask in the fact that you are now a child of the living God. That every sin has been washed away. The guilt, the shame, whatever's in the past, it is in the past. Not only is it in the past, it is buried in the past. God not only forgives, he forgets in the sense that he will never again bring that to your charge. Whatever's in the past, it's over and done with. We talk about people that have skeletons in their closet. When we, when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and enjoy the cleansing power of the blood, guess what? All those old skeletons are gone, gone. There's a second thing, a second basic need that I believe all of us have, and that is there is a need for family. Did you know that in Jesus you can have a family? There are people in our world today, biologically speaking, they don't have a family. There are many people in our world today that have had gracious Mamas and daddies that have adopted them into their family. As a child of God, I have a family. I have a biological family, I understand that. But spiritually speaking, I have a family. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul talks about God's family. And he said that God has a family in heaven and on earth. You ever thought about that? Did you know that as a child of God, you have a family in heaven? Who is that family? God the Father? Jesus Christ the Son? John talks about how we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son in 1 John chapter 1. John would say in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. We've been called the sons of the children of God. Think about that. You have a father in heaven. God is your father. As a child of God, as somebody who enjoys the blessings of a family in heaven, I have a God to whom I can pray. I pray to God. And you know what the Bible says? That God will hear my prayers. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. I want to ask you a question. How could you ever get by without prayer? I mean, how, how can you deal with the difficulties and the injustices of life sometimes without prayer? Did you know that God wants to hear his children praying to him. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, that the Lord delights in the prayers of the righteous. You mean to tell me that when I'm struggling, 
when I'm having difficulties and trials and tribulations and temptations in life that God wants to hear from me? Absolutely. Why is that? Because he is my father. And because the Bible says, as my father, he loves me. You may question whether or not your parents love you, but I can promise you one thing. God in heaven loves you. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us. You can doubt whether, whether or not people love you in this world, but God in heaven loves you. When you approach the throne of God, you have his absolute undivided attention. You ever try to talk to somebody and they have tuned you out or they're trying to do two or three things at one time? Let me tell you what, when you approach the throne of God, you have his absolute undivided attention. The Bible says that we ought to draw boldly under the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the great blessings of prayer is knowing that I can go with the expectation that God will help me. God understands. He understands where I am. He understands the struggles and the circumstances that I'm facing in life. It does not escape his attention. So the beauty and the blessings of prayer. And then to know that I have the peace of God in my life. Now, really, this is tied to prayer to God because in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you ever worry? Is your life filled with anxiety? You know what Paul said? In nothing be anxious. Did you know that in Matthew chapter 6, three times Jesus said, Do not worry? One time he even asked the question, why do you worry? Paul said, look, in nothing be anxious. Don't worry, but pray. And then he said in verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Did you know that the peace of God stands guard at your heart? Why is that? Because you have a God in heaven, a Father in heaven who loves you, who cares about you, who is intricately involved in the affairs of your life. And then there's a third thing. You have the presence of God. Did you know that wherever you go in this life, the Lord will be with you? We talk about our family in heaven, God the Father. Wherever I go in this life, the Lord has promised to stand by me and to stand with me. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's not going to, he's not going to fail me. He's not going to forget me and he's not going to forsake me. He's going to stand by me. There's a third thing I want you to see as we think about some of the blessings of being a child of God and that is, well, let me just pause here for a minute. We talk about our family in heaven. Let me just real quick, very quickly, let me just share with you some blessings of our family here on earth. As a child of God, I have lots of brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I think about how as, as a child of the king, I have brothers and sisters around the globe. Every person that has obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ is my brother or sister. We are people of like precious faith. 
And here's the beauty of being a part of the church, of being a part of the family of God. Number one, as family, we lift one another up by prayer, don't we? How many times have you prayed for others? I think about the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, when he said, brethren, pray for us. We talk about Paul being a spiritual giant, he was. And here is the Apostle Paul, a man that welded great power and great influence in the world. Sometimes we have the idea that he was Superman, if you please. Well, he was a Superman. And Paul did some extraordinary things in life, but he was still a human being. He still had needs and wants and desires, and he still faced struggles in life. So Paul could write to fellow Christians, and he could say, look, pray for us. I'm going to tell you what, I appreciate people praying for me. And to know that I have the opportunity to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I can pray for people that are suffering and hurting, that have lost loved ones, that have faced disasters in life. So we can lift one another up in prayer, and then we can lift one another up by our presence. There's a lot to be said for being part of the family of God here on earth. I want you to understand something. Life's not always fair. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You can face some tough times in this life. Just since I have been a part of the church here at Olive Branch, I've seen a lot of suffering. We have said goodbye to a number of people. Some, some of those that we've lost have left huge voids from the vantage point of their presence. And, and yet I have seen members in this church rally around those that have lost loved ones. I've seen members in this church rally around those that have struggled and that have faced debilitating circumstances in life. Why do they do that? Because we're family. And there are a lot of people in our world today, they don't have that kind of family. And yet there's a connection that we enjoy in Christ. It's unlike anything else. The Bible says of the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. This joint participation together. Paul said that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. In Galatians 6.2, he would say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are people in this church that have been blessed because in their time of need, people have stood by them. You may be here today. You're not a child of God. You're not a Christian. You don't have a church family. Let me tell you what. You can obey the gospel. You can have a church family right here. And you can enjoy the benefits and the blessings of family. Now let me share with you just very quickly. You can have a friend in Jesus. When you become a child of God, you'll have a friend unlike any other. I was thinking yesterday about the first best friend I ever had. Lived right across the street from me. And he and I, we did everything together. We were, we were inseparable, I guess you could say, for a lot of years. And we had a lot of fun together. 
As we got older, we went our separate ways. There are times in life when our friends will promise to stand by us. But that doesn't always happen, does it? Remember Paul when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. He said, I pray God that it won't be laid to their charge, but the Lord stood with me. There may be folks that will promise to stand by you through thick and thin, and when, when tough times come, guess what? They're nowhere to be found. But you can expect the Lord Jesus Christ to stand by you come what may. It goes back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. God is not going anywhere. He'll stand by you. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He would say, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. He wants to be our friend. And then, finally, there's a future with Jesus. Would you take a job that didn't have a future? I'm talking about people that as we grow older in life, I think about going back to when I graduated from college. The people that I went to school with, when they graduated, they were looking for a job with a future. If they interviewed with a company or corporation and there was no future, sometimes what happened? They'd pass on the job. Why? Because they wanted a future. The dating process. Those of us that have been through the dating process, we have dated people and we knew. We just knew. There was no future for the two of us long term. Wasn't going to work for whatever reason. If you don't have Jesus in your life, your future is bleak. Let me just be very honest with you. You don't have a future beyond this life. You see, if all you're living for is the here and now, you better enjoy it while you can because one day this life is going to come to a crashing halt. And when it comes to a halt, what then? So, with Jesus, you have a future. Listen again to what Jesus said. That those who follow him, he said, Shall they not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. When it's all said and done, let me tell you why I'm living a Christian life. Because I want to go to heaven. Not only do I want to go to heaven, but I want my family to be in heaven. And I want you to be in heaven. And there's somebody else that wants you to be in heaven. That somebody's God. The Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't think for a moment God isn't interested in you. God loves you. God sent his son to die for your sins. There are a lot of benefits and blessings to being a child of God. There are a lot of benefits and blessings that we enjoy right now. Benefits and blessings that far outweigh this world. But the ultimate blessing, oh, it's heaven. To know that I can be in a place that is described by Peter as incorruptible, undefiled. He said it fades not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. 
I want to close today by asking this question. Have you made reservations for heaven? I mean, think about that for a minute. Have you made your reservations for heaven? I mean, some of us, we're going to probably take a vacation this year. Some of you have already made your reservations. Your name is on the docket. Maybe you bought airline tickets. Maybe you've gotten all of your accommodations settled. And why is that? Because you're planning to take a trip. One day you're going to take a trip. The trip you're going to take is from this life to the next life. And if you want to go to heaven, you need to make reservations. And the time to do that's now. If you haven't become a child of God, why not do that today? What's so important? What, what would keep you from doing what you know you need to do? Anything? I mean, what would stand in your way? I can't think of any viable reason why any thinking person would not become a child of God. I mean, yes, there are a lot of blessings now. But man, if you miss heaven, I promise you, you'll miss everything. You don't want to miss it. I look forward to being in a land one day where I'll never again lose a loved one. I'll never again experience pain and heartache and suffering. I'll never again cry. I've seen a lot of crying in my, in my years. I've seen a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. I've seen a lot of bad things. Probably you have too. But I know there's a better place. And so if you're here today and you're not a child of God, I want to beg and plead with you today. Come to Christ. Do what they did in the first century. Repent. Be baptized so that your sins can be washed away, God will put you in his family, the church. And in that family, you'll be among the saved. One day Jesus will come. When, I don't know. But I know he's coming. When he comes, he has promised to take the church home. The Bible says he's the savior of the church. Maybe you're here today, you're not faithful to his cause. Words seem inadequate sometimes. What do you say to folks that have lost their way? How do you get them back? I'm not sure I found the right words for every person. But I know this, there's a way home. And that way home is through repentance. A recognition of where, where you are in this life and the willingness to admit, I need to come home. And I want to close by saying this. If you're a Christian and you've lost your way, God will take you back. Remember in Luke 15 when the prodigal son left home? The son's making his way back after having suffered immeasurable losses. And the Bible says when his father saw him, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him.
God's waiting for you.